If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Today I want to talk to you about another giant that David faced. If you'll take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20. Now, Hunter Patton told me that I needed to share this with you today, that the Lord told John to come forth and receive eternal life, but he came in fifth and got a toaster (laughs) instead. I blame that solely on Hunter. Please don't hold that against me. Probably shouldn't even have passed that information along to you. But I've got some really good information for you today from the Word of God. And uh, this message, I wanna, I'm hoping that it will definitely inspire you, but also to challenge you to come to a greater understanding of what it means to keep a promise. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we find that David and, and um, Jonathan are talking, and Saul is after David to take his life. David has been anointed the king of Israel, but yet Saul is still the king, and Saul is crazy jealous about David's anointing and about God's hand upon him, and so he is trying to take his life. And But Jonathan, Saul's son, has become David's friend. And so Saul made sure that David was protected, even against his own father. What a position this young man was in, Jonathan, and what a friend he was. And in 1 Samuel chapter 20, we see him say to David, and you, verse 14, And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die. That is, knowing that you're going to be taken to the throne, I want to know that I'm still going to live after you take the throne. That you're still going to protect me and you're going to remember our friendship. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. That's a steep order right there. But you'll not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord require it at the hand of David's enemies. Now, go over to 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4. At this point, Saul and Jonathan both have fallen dead in war. Together, they died in the same battle. Very tragic, very sad day for Israel. And we find in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, when news of this came to their people, they began to flee because of the Philistines. Jonathan, Saul's son, who had a son, had a son, I should say, who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. They didn't have any time to get anything important except the little ones. And she picked him up and began to run. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Now go over to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Mephibosheth, five years old and suddenly crippled. Second Samuel chapter 9, verse 1, Now David said, Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. 
So when they called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, At your service. Then the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and, were, and will restore to you and all, all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. Then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that you should look upon, him, upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You, therefore, and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table. How often? Always. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Surely, or according to all the, the Lord the king has commanded his servants, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, and he ate how often? Continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both his feet. Father, now I do thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ on your people here now, and I thank you that you grace my lips as I declare your gospel today. Thank you for the privilege and the honor I have, Lord to speak to your people. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing to do it. Amen. Father, I thank you that your word changes us. Your word is alive and powerful, and we open up our lives to it fully have it to ha so that it will have its full impact on us in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. So we see an interesting story here. Jonathan makes sure that him and those following after him would be safe at the hand of David, and that David would always show them kindness. They made covenant there concerning that matter. And then we find out about a little boy named Mephibosheth. The day his daddy and grandpa were killed in war, was picked up. There's nothing he could help. Picked up and carried off and then dropped. And both of his feet were lame as a result of it. And they found, he found himself the he found himself at a place called Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture which means that this land offered nothing to the people. So there's no, there's no way to nourish him. There's no way to correct what has happened to him. He just has to just deal with his lame condition. And he finds himself now off in a land that can do nothing for him, victimized and ostracized. He hid there for fear of the Philistines and very possibly for fear of David once he took the throne, not knowing what David would do. But David said, is there still anyone who's left of the house? David has taken his, his rightful place on the throne finally after a long time. He'd been anointed, but it was several years process before he actually took the throne. And now he's there and everything is good in the kingdom. Hallelujah. I mean, this is the great king. 
And as all, all things are settling down and there's peace in the land, David remembers this promise that he made to his friend. And so he says, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? Now, I want you to notice that he called for Ziba, who was Saul's servant. And Ziba gave no attention to Mephibosheth's name. He simply said, the son of Jonathan, and he's lame. In other words, I don't think he's the right guy for what you want to do. I don't think he's the guy that you need to show kindness to, king. He's not suited for the king's table. Because the crippled at this time were despised, seen as cursed of God. But David was more convinced of that promise he made to Jonathan than of the condition of his son. So he called for Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth gets there and he doesn't know what to do. More than likely he's thinking that it's off with his head that his life is over, and yet David gives him this message, this news that is so, it's hard to believe, I'm sure, what he's hearing, that he is now invited to the king's table always to sit there and then to inherit what his grandfather had. And to, It's like he just won the lottery. I think it's interesting that David took such a position with this young guy that, I mean, wouldn't it have been plenty kind of generous for him to just send some checks over to Lodabar to, you know, as a kind gesture to Mephibosheth, give him a monthly check, a lifelong annuity? But he didn't do that. And he didn't just give him a pension. He gave him a place. He gave him a place at the king's table. Hallelujah. And... And this kid who has no feet to stand on, no legs to stand on, now has a whole new reason to live. Why? Was it because he was so impressive to David? Was it because that he somehow convinced David this was right or he coerced him into this? No. Matter of fact, Mephibosheth had absolutely nothing to do with it. It was simply because David made a promise to his friend and he was going to make good on that promise. The king is kind, not because the boy is deserving, but because the promise is enduring. And his place in the palace simply does not depend on his behavior, but on David's word. Why is he so loyal? Why is David so good to him? When Mephibosheth brings nothing and takes so much. I think if we were to ask David about how he could fulfill this giant of a promise, if you will, that he would take us from his story over to God's story. God sets the standard for covenant keeping. God sets the standard for keeping promises. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love and keep his commandments. It's these stories that David heard about God. It's even his own life experience that he, that he had of, 
uh, of God in his life and showing his faithfulness time and time again. It's on that promise that David could make a promise to and do everything in his power to keep it because that's who he served, a promise-keeping God. Hallelujah. That God was willing to keep his promise simply because he's God and that's what he does. He's faithful to his word. David, even at one place in the psalm, says he exalts his word even above his own name. Hallelujah. Because David knows this, like we all know this. If your word is no good, then your name is no good. So he exalts his word, magnifies his word above all of his name. Hallelujah. He knew, he knew, he'd heard the story. He knew about how it all began with Abraham, how God made a promise to him that so shall your descendants be like the sand of the seashore or like the stars of the sky. And Abraham was around 100 years old when it all started. And how we know, David didn't really see this, and, but we get to read about it. We'll all get to see it someday. But John saw it in the book of Revelation. When God showed him heaven, he said, I saw a number no man could number. There they are, all the descendants of Abraham. You're all in that number, by the way. As children of the living God, you're children of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. Hallelujah. So, and of Noah, God destroyed basically the entire earth with water and say eight people survived the event. And then he put a rainbow in the sky, signifying his promise that he would never, ever flood the earth again. And he hasn't. Now, we've had floods in different regions of the world, but, but not an all-encompassing worldwide cataclysmic flood. God has kept his promise. And then God showed us something really powerful over in Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah 53 is the prophecy of the lamb being slain. It's the prophecy of the redeemer who would come and save Israel. For he was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Hallelujah. This is that him looking forward by the Spirit, speaking of Jesus, who would give his life for all of us. And in chapter 54, it says, this is the result of chapter 53. Hallelujah. More are the children of the desolate than they of the, the hallelujah, of, of the fertile, I guess. And, and it, it just begins to talk about breaking forth and cry aloud and rejoice. And then it says, for this is as the waters of Noah to me. So as I've sworn I will never flood the earth again, so I have sworn I will no longer be angry with you. So just like the earth can't be flooded, God can't be angry anymore. Wow. What an amazing thing that Jesus took every ounce of the wrath of God upon himself so that God would say through that angel, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Hallelujah. That was the message now that comes from heaven's throne. That's the message that comes from almighty God, the judge of all the universe. And yet he looks at us based on what his son did for us. No longer angry. Promises just like the earth won't be flooded, so I won't be angry. David knew these stories and he even experienced God's faithfulness even, his, even in his own life. Even when the king himself was after him, God spared David time and time again because he was the rightful heir to the throne. Not only was there a promise that had David look toward Mephibosheth with such kindness, but I have a feeling that he could relate to him just on a 
small level. When Samuel the prophet came to Jesse's house and he said, here's my sons. So Jesse looks on the, the oldest boy, Eliab, and says, surely the hand of the Lord is upon him. God said, nope. You look at the outside, I look at the end. I've rejected him. And he went son after son after son after son after son, and none of them God chose. And, and so then Samuel says, well, you got any more kids? Jesse, it's like just an afterthought. Oh, yeah, David, yeah. Yeah, he's out there in the, with the sheep. Well, <clears throat> that doesn't seem very nice. That dad won't even acknowledge that he could be, it could possibly be him who could qualify for the throne. I mean, after all, he's just a little shepherd boy, right? Maybe he could relate to a little Mephibosheth in that way. His heart turned to him, knowing what it's like to be overlooked continually. And no doubt Mephibosheth was continually overlooked and despised. And yet now he finds himself in a very peculiar place. Invited by the king. What news that must have been for him. Oh, what news that was for you, ladies and gentlemen. What news it was for you when you heard that even in your broken, lost condition, you covered up in all the sin and all that trouble that was hovering over your life, that dark cloud, that hopelessness, and yet a Sunday school teacher, a preacher, a coach, your aunt, somebody came to you and said, you are not going to believe the news. There is a table with your name on it, and you have an invitation to eat with the king. You've got a place, not because you've done anything, but because he's just that kind. Because he's made a promise to all of those who will believe on him will receive everlasting life. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. How did David keep this promise? Well, he had a great example. You and I have this God who so loved us that he gave us Jesus. And by making that statement, when he promised us eternal life, you can guarantee that we get it. Because Jesus did die on that cross. He did go to that tomb, and he did rise again from the dead three days later. Hallelujah. There's a scripture over in Revelation chapter 3. It talks about to him who overcomes. As a matter of fact, let's turn there for a moment. If you would bring that up, Michael. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, I think verse 5. As he's getting that ready, 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 says, Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our, everybody shout it, faith. 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 Our faith is what overcomes the world, right? And then here is the same Greek word overcomes right here that it is in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Isn't that interesting? It says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments. The only way that you can overcome is what? By faith. So let's let's say it like this. He who has faith shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the Lamb's book of life. There's only one thing that can disqualify you from from securing your place at the king's table, and that is simply not believing. It's just simply not receiving the invitation that was given, not claiming your reservation at that table. All right? He who overcomes, he who has faith, 
That is that which overcomes. I will not blot out his name. You know what, ladies and gentlemen, you know what that tells us about God? He tells us that everybody's invited to the table then. Everybody has a, their name written there now. So you have to show up there and tell him, no, thank you. And then he'll blot your name out. See, he's not waiting for you to do something to get your name written up there. It's already there. Yes. Amen. It's already written there. Yeah. The king has an invitation for you today. Come. Yes. Come. Amen. Come to the king's table. Anyone, anyone who will believe, all you have to do is come. Jesus said, come to me. I'll give you rest. This is the place that God has made for us. This, this, is how much, this is how much God wants all of us in heaven. He wants you in heaven way more than you want to be there. Way more than you want to be there. And he's made it so wonderfully easy for us, even as David made it for Mephibosheth here. All he had to do was just come to the king's table and he got the king's benefits. He lived the king's lifestyle. Why? Because he made a promise. Why do you get to? Because God made a promise. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Ruby Hamilton, Ruby Hamilton got saved. She was married to a wealthy businessman who had no time for what she had. No time for religion, no time for church, and never would darken the door of a church. He was a self-made man. He was a wealthy man. What did he need that religion could offer? But she prayed for him. She prayed for her husband continually. She prayed that God would save him. And then one day, she said as she was praying, she all of a sudden had this peace come into her room and this assurance that she had not known the Lord telling her that her husband was going to be all right. So at that notion, she took God at his word. And she just began from that day forward to thank him for his promise. Until she got the terrible news that her husband was killed in a car accident. Without ever having seen her husband come to the Lord. Without ever knowing that he prayed a prayer or accepted this invitation. So she was confused. She was angry. She, was, she didn't understand. And as she went through the grief process, when she got into anger, she stayed in anger. And then she became bitter. And then she lost hope. She walked away from God. Ruby Hamilton walked away from God, not having seen what she believed was promised to her. Roger Simmons was hitchhiking down a highway in his army uniform, just having been discharged and coming home for the, from the war and could not wait to get that uniform off for the last time. He was dragging a suitcase and had his thumb out waiting for the next car to come by. And as he saw this sleek black Cadillac approaching, he thought there's no chance that this guy's going to pick me up. But to his surprise, the car pulled over and the door swung open, inviting him to come and take a ride. So Roger got in the car, put a suitcase in the back, and down the road they went. Roger Simmons told the man, thank you for the ride. And the man said, well, if you're lucky enough, maybe you live in Chicago. That's where this car's going. He said, well, I actually live about 30 minutes this side of Chicago. He said, what about you, sir? Do you live in Chicago? He said, I own a business there, 
My name's Hamilton. Hi, I'm Roger Simmons. And as they went down the road, they made small talk and sat and enjoyed the ride, and Roger was grateful. A little intimidated by this man who was very confident, who had an expensive suit on and driving an expensive car. And Roger was a Christian. And he had this compelling inside to tell the man about Christ. But boy, he was intimidated by the situation. So he just kind of ignored it and kind of just tried to suppress the feeling. And the further they went, the stronger it got. Until he saw that he wasn't too terribly far from his house. And finally he said, Mr. Hamilton, I've got to tell you something. I've got to tell you something very important. And he began to tell him about his encounter with Christ and just shared the simple gospel with him that Jesus died for his sins, that he was buried and he rose again from the dead. And if he would believe on him, he could have that new life too. And he asked him, Mr. Hamilton, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord? To which the car quickly pulled over the side of the road and stopped suddenly. And Roger at that moment thought, well, the ride's over. But to his surprise again, Mr. Hamilton bowed his head and surrendered his heart to Jesus. He would never forget this day, May 7th. This was the day that he was discharged, and this was the day that he saw a man come to Christ. It was forever burned in his mind. Five years later, he had gotten married, had two kids, owned his own business, had to make a quick business trip to Chicago, and he pulled out a suitcase and was putting a few things in it for the trip and reached into a side pocket and found a business card that said Hamilton Enterprises and it gave the address in Chicago and he thought, I wonder how Mr. Hamilton's doing. I think I'll go make a surprise visit. So he made his way into Chicago, got to Hamilton Enterprises, walked in the front door, asked the receptionist to see Mr. Hamilton. She said, well, that's, that'll be impossible to see him, but his wife, Mrs. Hamilton, is here. You're welcome to see her. So she escorted him down the hallway to an office at the end opened the door, and there sat Ruby Hamilton behind the desk. And Roger Simmons came in and said, Hi, ma'am, um, I just wanted to come and tell you that your husband a few years ago gave me a ride. I was coming home from the war, and I uh, was hitchhiking, and he was nice enough to pull over and pick me up, and I wanted to stop by and see how he was doing. She said, Oh, yeah, well, when, when did that happen? When was that? He said, well, it happened on May 7th. As a matter of fact, I won't forget that day. That was the day I was discharged from the Army. That was five years ago. Her jaw dropped. He said, where is Mr. Hamilton? She said, he died on May 7th. My husband died in a car crash. He never made it home. Apparently, it was after he dropped you off. Roger was a little taken back by her cold response and was a little intimidated to tell her the rest of the story, but he thought, it worked with Mr. Hamilton. Maybe, maybe she can get something out of it. So he proceeded to tell her the story, how he began to share the gospel with Mr. Hamilton, even though he was very intimidated by him, and how the car suddenly pulled over and came to a halt, and he thought his ride was over, but yet he saw Mr. Hamilton lay his head on his steering wheel and weep and cry out to God. And when Ruby heard the news, she began to sob, and cry, and she thought, how in the world, I can't believe this. All this time, I thought God had forgotten me. I thought that he did not keep his promise, and yet I walked away from him, and he was faithful to me. See, God watches over his word to perform it. It don't matter how long it takes. You don't have to depend on circumstances to know if the promise of God is coming true or not. God 
is faithful. God is a promise keeper. If he said it, he will do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Hallelujah. And his name is above every name and forever his word is settled in heaven. And if you'll just refuse to, to, to let anything talk you out of what he has talked you into. Hallelujah. You can have everything that God says you can have. You can trust him. God can be trusted. How many of you in here have ever broken a promise before? Hmm? Yeah. See, we... We oftentimes, by our own experience, by our own downfall, we think that God possibly could do the same thing, but he's so far greater than us. Hallelujah. He will never, ever, ever leave us. He will never, ever forsake us. I want to show you something just right quick. Go over to Timothy. Hang on. I want our ushers to get ready to... Uh, I said Timothy. 1 John. Forgive me. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, in verse 2, it says, Beloved, now we are the children of God. Now, I want you to note something about Mephibosheth. That's interesting. There's kind of a strange situation that happened a little later. In, and you can read this in, in 2 Samuel chapter 16 and also in 19, I believe. And they went to war again. David and his men went to war again. And... Um, David sees Ziba, this the, Saul's servant, come and he's got these donkeys and he's got this food and stuff. He says, what's all this about? He's, he says, well, this is for the king and this is for the men. He says, uh, uh, Mephibosheth has turned on you because Absalom had turned on David. And so he said, Mephibosheth said that now today the kingdom will be returned to him. So he's back waiting for all that to happen. Well, when David finally, uh, finally Mephibosheth comes out to meet David, and David says, why didn't you come with me? He said, he said My serv- your servant, Ziba, has deceived you. He's spoken wrongly of me. He said, I wanted to come see you and, and be with you. He, you know what was interesting about this? The Bible says that when, when Mephibosheth showed up, he hadn't bathed the entire time the king was gone. He was unshaved. He was dirty. The Bible said he hadn't cared for his feet. He went back to what he was when the king was gone. Though he hadn't been invited to that king's table, Mephibosheth had no identity when the king was gone. Here's what you have that Mephibosheth didn't have. And all those who were waiting for that promise, Redeemer, to come. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he Yes, hallelujah. See, he's with you all along. That's why you continue to be who you are. You can always know that you are the king's 
kid. You have a place at the king's table. You have the spirit of God who is bearing witness that you are a child of God. Hallelujah. But you, So you got to just get over the days that you don't feel like you are and remember the spirit of God who's in there telling you, hey, remember who you are. You sit at the king's table. You sit at the king. Be a king's kid then. God is invited. God has brought you by his own grace, by his own mercy to this place. And Psalm chapter 23, go ahead and hand that out, gentlemen. Psalm chapter 23, why don't we just say this together? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I love that. You prepare a table before me. Where? In the presence of my enemies. See, you've got enemies in this world. You have the world, you've got your own flesh, and you have the devil. But he, in the midst of all that, prepares a table for you to feast on him. This, this moment right here, this communion, this meal that we're about to partake of is a meal that's based on a promise. Yeah. A promise. A covenant that is established. We have received a better covenant established on better promises. And this table offers us a place at the king's table always. A place at the king's table continually. So come as you are. Come as you are. He invites the broken. He invites the beaten. He invites the wronged. He invites those who have, who are weak in sin. He invites those who are enemies of God. He invites all. It's a clear invitation to all of us. God's not a respecter of persons. He's a respecter of his son. And through Jesus, he offers all of us the same hope, the same opportunity the same place at the table before we partake of this meal because this is a moment where we remember him. That's what this is all about. It's not, this is not the time when we go through and do a, go through the Rolodex and start doing a, an inventory of how many sins we committed. This is about to remember him. To remember he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. For just a moment, if you're here today and you've not accepted the invitation to the king's table, if you've never invited Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord and Savior, if you've never received the truth that he died for you, that he died for your sins, and that he was buried and he rose again three days later, But right now at this moment, you feel him calling you. You feel him inviting you. You 
you feel that stirring on the inside, I want to invite you to know him. And we're all just going to pray this prayer together. And if you're here today and you want to be saved, you want your place, you want to claim your reservation at the king's table, just simply pray this prayer with me. The Bible says it's by grace you are saved through faith. It's not a prayer that saves you. It's your faith in God that will save you. But I'm going to give you some words to say here today to attach your faith to. Let's all say this together. God, I acknowledge my great need for Jesus. And I joyfully and I humbly accept my place at the king's table. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I believe he was buried. And I believe he rose again three days later. And I now confess Jesus is Lord of my life. All my sins are washed away. I am seated at the king's table in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take this moment now to remember him. Paul said, I received of the Lord Jesus that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, here's our promise keeping God, he didn't retaliate, he made covenant. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner, he also took the cup after they had dinner, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do, as often as you drink it, remember it to me. And I would like to, all of us, to give a toast to the captain of our salvation, the champion of our souls, the living Lord, the reigning king, our Savior, who has invited us to his table. We salute you, Jesus. We thank you for your blood. Hallelujah. Now, if you would, take your cups and pass them to the center aisles here. We'll have some ushers come by and pick them up for you. Praise God. I want to say thank you to all of you for being here today. All right? A few, in a few hours, we're going to have another great service here, 6 o'clock. Be here, be here, be here. We're going to have a wonderful time. All right? Praise God. Let's stand together. I want to ask Pastor John to come and dismiss us. Terrific. Great message. Praise the Lord. You reach and touch somebody by the hand, please. Just touch them on the shoulder. Father, I thank you today that we have the community of faith, the household of faith. These that we have the privilege of being a part of, members of the body of Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the history that we have here together that binds us together, that draws us together, that helps us see our future together in you. I thank you, Lord, that you blessed your people today and they're coming in. And I thank you now, Lord, that they're blessed and they're going out. 
Thank you that you've made us the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last, victors, no longer victims. Thank you, Lord, that though their enemies come out at them in one direction, they will just have to flee in seven because we are blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in our basket, blessed in the storehouse, and everything our hand touches prospers. Thank you, Father dear, that you cause the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as the people of God go forth with joy, armed and dangerous in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for locations and events. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church.